0: All right, then. So uh, we actually got our first snow up here in Boston. I just—I
1: was thinking you probably did. I saw some stuff on the news about that.
0: Yeah, I was out and about on uh, one day earlier this week, and we actually had snow in the air. Very, very, very light snow in the air. And then like then two days later... We actually got a dusting that lasted for about an hour and then it turned to slush but we actually had snow here and they actually about an inch and a half up north where my folks were living now so uh i went up there for thanksgiving yesterday i arrived wednesday afternoon and i was semi-shocked to see that there was actually a little bit of snow still on the ground there were a few places where there was actually where the snow had piled up and uh, so uh, winter has definitely arrived up here in new england
1: yay (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I knew, I knew, I knew going in that this was going to turn out to be the Florida people versus the not Florida people today.
2: So, well, I can, I can hear my neighbors' kids in the swimming pool next door. If that's okay. what you're asking.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. Well. Yeah. I'm. I was just going to let Amy take the lead on this. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. I've been accused of. Uh, it's
0: a little tag team thing going on. Being here, a
1: Florida right? racist in the past, that's so right. I'm just going to let Amy take it's the lead. It's a little lead. tag
0: team thing, and you're going let uh, you're going to let uh, Amy take over for today. All right. Well. On that note,
3: the members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations with which they work. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.
0: The UCAP gang had to delay this week's gathering due to the Thanksgiving Day holiday, but now we're all well fed and ready to do a little post feast hangar flying. We compare notes on some of our favorite airport restaurants, marvel at a remarkably transparent aviation plan out of Washington, and hear about Amy's kit fox. All this and more in Uncontrolled Airspace, episode number 56 A Starburst Formation. Welcome folks to episode number 56 of Uncontrolled Airspace the General Aviation Podcast and we're recording this podcast on uh, a different day of the week it's Friday afternoon November 23rd 2007 it's the uh, day after Thanksgiving here in the US and uh, we're all kind of coming down for at least I am from uh, all the excitement of Thanksgiving dinner and, uh, <laughs>
2: What? <laughs> now what what's, could have, what what possibly could have been so exciting other than yeah. the, the drive up there in what must have been horrendous traffic
0: well first of all you understand for the past four or five years i've i'm the family chef for thanksgiving uh-huh. so uh-huh. i actually kind of get to roast the turkey and stuff and it's and it's it's always kind of a, a satisfying accomplishment to discover that i didn't kill any of the members of my family you know so uh, <laughs> um and so far last time i checked everyone's still living so that's good we had a good oh. time it was fun i uh, i go up there and i roast the turkey and uh, make all the fixings and uh and we all sit down we had four out of the five siblings with their families there and uh so um, many
3: straight lines
0: so little time and mike <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna let you abuse me today i'm sorry it's uh it's a it's a wonderful like it's holiday. your choice it's, it's one of my favorite holidays <laughs> i i I I think I like Thanksgiving. It's a great holiday, and everybody gets together. And I mean, it just combines two of my two of my most favorite things: my family and eating. You know, so eating. How it's cool. a day it's, of the year where you
3: can give everybody the bird and nobody takes offense. Okay, that's one. <laughs> We're going to make
0: a list Very of all the little straight line cliches that Dave throws in today. Right. Amy, what were you going to say?
2: I I said what. Courtesy of our uh, electric co-op, we had no electricity from ten o'clock in the morning. Thank you. Right. So goodness, you have oh so much to give I, thanks for, right? Yes, all I had to provide was the green food at the affair. So I, having a gas stove, very proudly lit my burner and steamed my my green beans and, and marinated the worst, them. So that the was that lights. was my <laughs> created yeah, right, my my creative uh, uh, solving of the problem, but I. Have to, I have to tell you that that it's a good day to have that happen. It turns out we're the only house in the neighborhood who had no electricity. That's a very bad thing, the oh, guy told me it. when he came yeah. up. Don't you hate it when that happens? And tr- you kind
0: of assume that the whole, whole neighborhood's out and that somebody will call and report it. And then like two hours later you huh. discover it's just you and nobody's done anything to make it better.
2: Well, I actually, I gave it about 15 minutes, and then I told told uh, the hubber, you know, I think we need to deal with this.
1: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> do you have a generator? We do, but we never actually had to get it out because of the tremendous response we got from the electric company. We, I had three massive trucks in my front yard. In under two hours, and in three hours, they had fixed, which basically the problem was, uh I hate to say it, but my new neighbor, uh, when they put his power in, they had to do a splice and a new little J-box and everything at the transformer in the backyard. Well, the contractors were not real careful about what they were doing, and they nicked my main line. And Ooh. you know, water and that beautiful Florida sunshine combine, mm-hmm. and uh, it manifests itself as the most interesting brownout I've ever had. Hmm. Everything in the house kept trying to turn on for about ten minutes till we finally flipped the master switch, you know, off. And half the house worked, and half, half the house didn't. And wow, yeah, I think weird. You- it reminded of me me of my airplane. I have to tell you, I was going to say,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Before I forget completely, we better say hi to the other folks here in the virtual hangar. That uh, that kind, wonderful voice there, representing the sunny state of Florida, is Amy Lobota. Amy is an editor-in-chief of Aviation for Women magazine and a contributing editor to EAA's Sport Aviation. And she's talking to us from sunny Fort Myers, Florida. Is it sunny today? Uh, it
2: is not. The oh. cold front has stalled directly over us. Jeb, yep. you can uh, tell me can what realize. it looks like where you are.
1: It's, it's uh, broken. Um, Some broken I'm sorry, broken cumulus It rained here earlier today Before I got up I got up about 7 It had already rained by then Um, The ceiling, I'd say about 1500 feet And the clouds are moving I don't know, 10 or 15 knots, something like that It's a a good VFR day You could get in and out VFR if you're willing to wait For the hole to come by Mm -hmm.
2: Well, we're 300 overcast So I can now confirm that the front Is here Right? Yeah, definitely
1: yeah. is. Definitely go.
0: is. That second huh. voice is Jeb Burnside, of course. Jeb is an aviation journalist, currently serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine, and also as a contributing editor to Avweb Biz. And he's talking to us from another place in sunny Florida, Sarasota, Florida. Good morning, Jeb. Yeah, just Cap.
1: up the road. Good morning. Good morning or afternoon, I guess it is still here. Mm-hmm. I guess it's morning out in Wichita, but uh, that's right.
0: Um, and surprisingly quiet this morning. I hope we haven't and, lost and, him. Yeah, there, right? well, he's
1: it's, he's he's sorting through all the
0: straight lines. That's right. He's just. It's like biting his tongue here dave Higgin is out there somewhere dave is an aviation photographer a senior editor for kit planes magazine and the u.s editor for london's world aircraft sales magazine and he's talking to us from wichita kansas hi david you still there good morning everybody
3: yeah we're still here we're uh uh we 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 awaken to a, a nice clear kind of humid blue morning where it after the warmth of the early week, it felt colder than an Arctic airplane's aileron about dawn this morning. <laughs> uh, now, now we're. I wonder how
1: it. long. I wonder how long he worked to come up with that. Yeah, one.
3: really, really. <laughs> days came up with it days ago. Days uh, when this cold snap came, I was on the roof. Uh, blowing leaves out of the gutters and it dropped about 20 degrees in 90 minutes and mm-hmm. said oh there's the front so uh hope everybody had a lovely uh, uh fulfilling turkey day gobble
0: yeah i want gobble. to ask about that but first of all i gotta remember here i'm jack hodgson i'm a there private pilot a freelance writer and a new media producer i'm up here in boston massachusetts so uh i we, we've used up a lot of our chit chat time here uh, the allocated not talking about aviation time and uh, talking about Electrical outages and weather, and, but quickly, so I talked about my Thanksgiving. What did you guys do? All kidding aside, did you have a nice Thanksgiving? It was lovely,
3: quiet, uh, no hassle. Uh uh-huh. Roasted a couple of small game uh, Cornish hens uh, in the oven, fixed some stuffing, uh, had a nice dessert pie that I made Wednesday night. uh uh, didn't look at a computer, didn't dial on to the Internet, caught a little football, caught a couple of movies, read the newspaper, read a magazine, and all without leaving the block. So, okay.
0: Yep. Sounds
3: great. 18
2: people, all related, ages between 2 and 75, and nobody left pissed off at somebody else. Ooh, I consider wow. that a success. That's
0: great. Wow. That's, yeah. That's for- <laughs> Was that's that amazing. That's that wasn't incredible. at your home.
2: Where, where was it?
1: No. It <laughs> <laughs> was
2: at my mother's house, where the power stayed on all day long. <laughs>
1: uh-huh, uh-huh.
2: Now, your mother in, lives where? In Fort Myers as well. Everybody oh. lives here. So, that's, okay. I'm blessed with blessed with my entire family at all times of day and night.
1: <laughs> Blessing and so I will be the first to say it. And so, Jeb, you're sort of on your own down there. Did you, what, did you, like, go to the Waffle no, House I, or something? I, I flew my girlfriend in. Uh-huh. Uh, On Airtran, and uh, we went to Whole Foods and let them cook us a turkey, Uh and uh, had a wonderful meal, and uh, just been kind of hanging out. It's been a nice quiet weekend so
0: far. That's great. Like I said, I like Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorites, and uh, so uh, so I'm glad to hear everybody had a good time. But it makes me think. So I was, you know, one of the things, you know. I think we have the most fun in this podcast when we just talk about kind of everyday flying things, kind of grassroots flying things and, and one thing that's kind of food related is uh, I was curious what uh, uh, if any, uh, what are your favorite airport you know diners airport restaurants you know flying destinations <coughs> where you can go and you know maybe the you know, specifically the100 dollars hamburger or maybe a breakfast place or uh, anybody got one that stands out in their minds their favorite fly- airport restaurant?
2: Yeah, but it's not there anymore. Really? It's the uh, tragedy of it. Where, I, where was it? I, it was Mike's Landings at Page Field in Fort Myers, Florida, which existed for years and years and years. In fact, my instrument and commercial flight instructor had a booth there. That was where all ground school took place was in the booth at, <laughs> at the airport That's restaurant, uh-huh. and it was just a wonderful place. They had really nice food and uh, even a little atmosphere, but when they took down the, the old, and when I mean old, I mean original terminal that National and Eastern used to go into, when they wow. took down that terminal um, and went to a single FBO-type uh, system at uh, Page Field, that all went away. It's a shame. It's a shame.
1: Mm-hmm. But a bummer. Wow. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> who else? I know, I, I, uh, Georgetown, Delaware. Yeah. Has uh-huh. uh, okay. it has a, has a uh, restaurant on the field? Uh, it's you walk you, you walk into the terminal building there, <clears throat> and there's like the FBO desk on the right, and then you walk in, you take a left, and you walk into the restaurant, and they have big picture windows looking out on the ramp and the taxiway and the runways and all that. Uh, they have some of the best crab cakes I've ever had. They have uh, some crab bisque that is to die for. Um, and, in fact, people come from the surrounding area, the surrounding towns, to that restaurant. Um, and it's not just a, a fly-in restaurant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess that's one example. I, uh, the, the other example, though, is uh, Tangier Island, Virginia. Uh, Tangier Island, as the name implies, is, in fact, an island. It's down at the bottom of... Uh, um, the Chesapeake Bay, where the Chesapeake and the Potomac kind of come together and uh, it's it 's near uh, the Patuxent River Naval Air Station where they do a lot of uh, uh, testing and and uh, research and that kind of thing. but you fly into this little strip um, there they do have an instrument approach there um, but that 's about it um, and you tie down the airplane and and you walk down through the uh, the little town and it 's it 's a Working harbor, uh, a lot of "quote unquote" watermen work out of that island. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, very quaint, very picturesque, uh, almost um, an isolated culture, if you will. In that, the only two ways to get in uh, to get to that island are by air or by ferry. There is no bridge. There is no nothing. Uh, uh, vehicular traffic uh, consists of golf carts. The occasional bicycle and the even more rare uh, automobile um, uh, that are that are floated in on, on ferries or whatever. Um, there are any number of of restaurants um, on the island uh, that cater to the ferry trade that comes in um, during the summer, and uh, there's some B&Bs and, and things like that. But um, it's uh, the the place. My favorite place there is called Hilda's. And they have a – I don't know who's doing that, but I'm not. Yeah, somebody's messing with their mic. Use caution, please. Go ahead, Um, uh, Jeb. Hilda's Chesapeake Bay something or other house, uh, they have um, seatings. And you you and your friends that came with you and a bunch of other people who you don't know sit around a big, huge table – And they serve you family style, where you know there's just a you know a big plate of of crab cakes, for example, or a big plate of of green beans, or a big plate of mashed potatoes and cornbread and and you know, all that kind of thing are plopped down in front of you. And uh, um, it's, it's just a really nice environment. The prices are, are reasonable, um, and uh, the food is just excellent. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and so, and what,
0: what was that airport again?
1: It's called Tangier Island. There's only one. There's only one strip there uh, on the island. It's anybody um, you know from the Mid-Atlantic area probably knows or has heard of it. Uh, it's an easy flight down from um, the DC area. Um, somewhat longer flight, say from Baltimore or Philly. Um, and, you know, uh, points south of there, there's not that much uh, to the south except maybe Norfolk and Richmond. But uh, it's a great little uh, day trip or just an afternoon trip. It's uh-huh. that close. Yeah. Uh, there's no other way to get there except, uh, as I say, airplaner uh, airplane or, or, or a boat.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm going to jump in here and go next. Uh, I, I'm going to give you two as well, one west coast and one east coast. Now, on the west coast, we always used to enjoy going to uh, the little restaurant in the terminal building at Half Moon Bay Airport, which is uh, out on the Pacific coast sort of just to the west of Silicon Valley and the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, you know, we were flying over from Palo Alto, which was just a hop over the hills. And uh, you'd fly over the the, the uh, sort of yacht harbor. It was more of a, a recreational yacht, you know, boating area, not not so much a working harbor and uh you'd land over the you'd approach over the water and come down on usually you know the prevailing winds would bring you over the water and you'd touch down on the runway and taxi up to the uh, terminal building there's a great little uh, diner kind of restaurant there and uh, was particular i enjoyed it a lot for breakfast although i'm a breakfast person mm-hmm. I, so uh, and that would be the problem some days you couldn't fly in there because you'd get morning uh, clouds uh, and you, you unless you were ifr you couldn't uh, you couldn't get in there but uh, yeah. so as a result some days i'd just drive over the hills and go there and you'd sit at the table right at the Window right looking out onto the ramp and check out the airplanes coming out. and going. So that's the uh, at Half Moon Bay, and then my East Coast one is at my uh, former home airport here, uh, which is Northampton Field up uh-huh. in uh, Hampton, New Hampshire, and uh, which I've talked about before. A great uh, grass strip with all sorts of tail dragger activity and biplane activity and you know regular uh, uh, recreational aircraft activity. And there's a, a restaurant right there on the field. Uh, it sort of dominates the terminal building. It's it's probably. Probably 75% of the building is the restaurant, and it's a great restaurant. It probably gets more business with people driving in from the area. Mm-hmm. And uh, on nice days, you can take your meal out onto the deck and uh, sit at one of the picnic tables. And airplanes are taxiing around to the left and right and center in front of the uh, restaurant. That's a good one, too. I like that one. Out. It's a Very cool. Northampton, New Hampshire. That's a good one. And
3: uh, Dave, you still there? Yep, i got two. uh, Actually, there are about a half a dozen that stand out in my memory, but I'm unsure of the status of several of them. So I'm going to stick with two fairly local for us that I know are still in operation. Uh, You've heard me mention the fly-in breakfast at Ponca City,
1: Oklahoma. I knew that was coming.
3: Okay, well, (laughs) Ponca Ponca City, the rest of the month, uh, there's a, a restaurant in the terminal building there called Enrique's. Uh, Mexican restaurant, uh, really excellent food. I think it's open every day of the week except Sundays. Uh, lunch and, and dinner. And uh, if you're in the neighborhood of Papa November Charlie, uh, you know, check with the unit, folks on the UNICOM to see if it's open. But uh, it generally is and, and highly recommended. The most interesting airport restaurant that uh, I know is still in operation is actually about a quarter of a mile off the runway. But you can taxi right through town to the restaurant,
0: Here. park across the street. I think you talked about this a couple of weeks ago. What was it? What is it?
3: Bo- Bo- Beaumont, Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> Beaumont, Kansas. Uh, the Beaumont Hotel is the location of the restaurant. And just about a quarter of a mile east of the hotel, down the hill and, and right on the east edge of town, is a 2,600-foot north-south uh, native prairie grass strip, fully restored in great shape. Uh, happened to fly over it uh, last Thursday, as a matter of fact, and was uh, pointing it out to a gentleman that I was sharing an airplane with. Uh, the designator, if you want to put it into your GPS, is Sierra November 07. Uh, or it's about 49 nautical off the uh, Wichita DME on the 86 degree radial, and I'll send Jack the uh, the the uh, location page of the Ho- Beaumont Hotel website has the latitude and longitude in there in case your database doesn't show it. Great place, you can stay overnight there. They have uh, uh, some special activities. Uh, the food is really quite good, uh, and the uh, people that run the hotel there are actually a professional hotel company, little boutique company up uh, in Lawrence, Kansas, and they, uh, the principals of the company are pilots. Mm-hmm. And when they heard that the Beaumont Hotel was in distress for, I don't know, the fourth or fifth time in ten years, uh, they checked it out, bought it, upgraded it, brought it into first-class shape, uh, now it's a, pretty much a seven-day-a-week operation, so uh, I, I haven't stayed in a hotel. Uh, I've visited there many, many times, flown airplanes into the Strip several times, uh, but the food in the restaurants are uh, really quite good
0: and worth a detour by itself. That's great. That's great. Well, obviously, was that it, Dave, David? Do you have another that one? That was it. Okay. That was it. We'll obviously put the uh, uh, Pointers uh, links to all of these restaurants and their yeah, associated it, airports uh, in the show notes.
1: Yeah Jim. just insert just insert a couple of identifiers. Georgetown, Delaware is Golf Echo Delta and Tangier Island is Tango Golf India.
0: Okay. And I don't have mine in my head, but I'll have to I'll put them in the show notes for sure. And uh um and Amy, do you have one that's alive?
2: I do. Tell I us. Do. I was just thinking about that. Actually, I was at Hampton Field last summer, and really? it is all that you, you expressed. is so I yeah. terrific? I had to giggle when you said in that. In the wintertime,
0: but, when, when, when we get snow in the wintertime, they actually uh, turn it into a snow runway for ski planes. And very they, cool. They groom it and, and make it so you can land there. It's a great airport. I was thrilled to discover it when I moved back into the area. What's your restaurant that's still working?
2: Well, uh, in Sebring, Florida, which is right by Skip Barber's, uh, and in oh. fact, half of the airport is now a drag strip for the Skip Barber um, Driver Training School, but there is a wonderful restaurant. Right in the terminal and it's a new terminal. it uh, doesn't cost anything to go in there. Lockwood Laza um, for um, the Rotax dealer for Florida is right next door, and they have a wonderful breakfast, wonderful lunch. Um, i't know that, I don't know about dinner there, but it wouldn't surprise me if they have dinner too. So Seabring, Florida, okay. which is uh, I think it's Sierra Echo Bravo. It's the Identical.
3: I'm familiar with that place from uh, (laughs) my last couple of visits. Uh, That's really a nice little restaurant.
2: Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So uh, that one. And then, of course, uh, Chalet Suzanne, which has its own strip. And mm-hmm. is its own very unusual hotel and gourmet dining experience. So if you don't mind spending, like you said, that $100 on the on – the, uh, you won't get hamburger at Chalet <laughs> Suzanne. You'll get something much, much nicer. So, Whereabouts uh, is that? Chalet Suzanne is right around Winter Haven, Florida, and I don't have an identifier That's for okay. that.
1: We'll dig them up. up in the show notes. Yeah. Is that a private strip?
2: It is a private strip. And I uh, used to camp out at Sun and Fun one night, and then go over and spend a night at the hotel, <laughs> and have dinner with my husband. Uh, can you arrive unannounced,
0: or you need to call ahead?
2: Uh, no, you need an, you need to have a reservation. Okay. That's really critical. You can probably get in for lunch without too much trouble, but uh, it's 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 you know your your Michelin Guide type mm-hmm.
0: food. Yeah, oh, very cool. That's great. I'll have well, to as, check that out. As you can imagine, we'd love to hear from our listeners uh, with their uh, favorite airport restaurants. Uh, you know, send us a, an email or uh, check out the listener line and uh, and uh, send us an audio of uh, a description of your favorite airport restaurant and why. Tell us a little bit about the uh, the food and the, at- the atmosphere and, and the airport that it's located in. We'd love to hear about that stuff. So what else is going on? This, there's been it's been an interesting week or so in the in the aviation news, and, and particularly let's see, the president cleared out the airways so that Thanksgiving Day <laughs> would go more smoothly. And uh, hallelujah! That was me being sarcastic, in case anybody didn't know. I'd,
3: I'd I'd like to quote a Simpsons character. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And uh, um, such a nutty idea. All right. Such a I I know we don't do politics here. This is but this is about aviation. And I just want to be on the record. Such a blatantly political idea that even Fox News was pointing out that it was crazy.
1: Um, (laughs) Well, well, Fox News was. Singing, wonder it
0: turns so cold here.
1: Yeah, si- singing the praises uh, of of how the president and the White House had uh, decided to do something uh, for uh, all those poor travelers on Thanksgiving. But one of the talking heads they invited on, Mike Boyd of uh, uh, Boyd Associates, who's a uh, perennial uh, uh, gadfly, uh, and, and mostly <laughs> gadfly. I see, and when I say gadfly, I say that in in, in all the nicest connotations. He's always Absolutely.
3: Uh, very they very, very positive. Where my Yeah, he, yeah.
1: Um, he's always you know on. He's got his pulse on what's going on in this industry, and he's usually got uh, an opinion and some comments that are right on target uh and uh, uh fox news brought him on to of course uh, echo their praises and he didn't do that he said look this is total smoke and mirrors and uh uh, do we, we won't do a thing to, to help uh, the holiday travel and uh, um, you know end the discussion? Yeah. Uh, what we're talking about
0: good. for anybody who didn't get the news was that uh, back before the holiday, the uh, uh, the White House announced that they were going to uh, help out, or try and make things easier in the skies over the t- big travel holiday. That uh, they were going to open, they were going to make them. I just makes me chuckle to even say it out loud. They were going to uh, open up a lot of the military airways and in uh, the military airspace in order to uh, make more space for airplanes to fly around. And that was going to make things better, which is just kind of nuts on the face of it. Because you know anybody who pays any attention knows that that the airways aren't really the problem. The problem That's are, right. are uh, specifically the the runways and uh, you know and, and the airspace immediately uh, around the airports. But it's basically runways. The airlines schedule too many airplanes in and out of these airports all at the same time. And well, let,
3: let, let, let's put a little context on on, on this on a skeleton too. Yeah, uh, the president appeared uh, in, in a in a uh, Statement session with the Secretary of Transportation to make this announcement. Okay, and
1: That's the and the new and the new acting uh, administrator, administrator, new administrator. Uh,
3: yeah. right, Bobby Sturgill, and <laughs> right. uh, uh, the uh, uh, part of the context was that in announcing their largesse, That is opening up airspace. It's normally available for these kind of problem weekends anyway. Ask anybody in ATC or the military. Uh, That's off over the ocean where it's not going to have much effect on runway acceptance rates like zero. Uh, But they took the opportunity, this little triad at the White House, to beat up. On Congress for not passing their version of the FAA reauthorization now this is where aviation and politics kind of the lines kind of cross here and that's that that's where we feel a little comfortable saying BS
1: blowing uh, snow
3: blowing (laughs) snow right uh, blowing smoke someplace where you don't want to have smoke blown (laughs) and uh, the uh, the uh, uh, you know not even Charmin makes that comfortable Uh, the uh, you know the, the the idea was that if Congress would just pass their tax increase on general aviation and their tax break for the airlines, uh, that this would be
2: uh, it, this would be so much less of a problem. Oh uh, yes, it, immediately, no less. Yeah. It would, it right, would right, right. instantaneously it's like just, resolve itself. This right. just
3: needs to be done now so that this will be fixed. And yeah. it's like, oh my God.
2: Oh you my know, God! You don't even, I don't, you don't usually
3: hear this kind of BS short of a late-night infomercial where well, I know to carry hip weights. Okay, let's, let's just.
0: I, mean, <laughs> I don't want to care, I don't want us to be character. I personally think we shouldn't be characterizing this as any kind of you know kind of take on our opinions of 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 the current administration. This is just this particular idea was a
1: was nuts well, i mean just it well, had no real you know value here, here, to it, right? here's here's my bottom line it was it was clearly you know something designed uh for domestic political consumption yeah. to try to uh mollify the, the flying public that this thanksgiving would not be as bad as other thanksgivings perhaps um as a um, uh a sop to the airlines to to, uh, to get that much more traffic uh, going uh, over the holiday weekend, but the punchline in all this for me is as as we've noted here, uh, these this airspace that they're talking about is is the uh, the warning areas, the offshore warning areas that um, are are off the Atlantic coast. Um, if you look at the route structure up and down the east coast if you look at where these these uh... warning areas are located um... they are so far out of the normal uh... flyways if you will the normal routes the normal jetways that uh... uh... airliners going up and down the east coast take that it's comical to suggest that that uh... making them or turning them cold if you will over the holiday weekend has any impact whatsoever on on traffic um, if you look at the uh and, and anybody can do this looking at say flight aware or uh, some of the other um, flight tracking tools that have become available in the last few years um, all of the traffic goes up and down you know like victor one or or uh, the associated uh, jet uh, route uh and uh uh, all that stuff is is outside of the warning areas to begin with. Uh, e- the only flights that could possibly have been affected by this are things out of New England and New York uh, down to Orlando or point south and there just isn 't that much traffic on those routes um, and even if there was, um, what about the the uh, the flights going in and out of Kennedy to Atlanta or Chicago or 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 Dallas or Denver or something like that it doesn't do any good at all. And doesn't uh, ATC so, work we, we with the just,
0: military to to routinely exactly. open these things up when it's safe,
1: anyways? Exactly. And on a holiday yeah. weekend, the the military isn't doing a whole lot of training. Yeah. So
2: no, uh, our our restricted airspace in the center of Florida is routinely shut down. For holidays,
0: I guess one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about, I wanted to bring this up on the podcast, particularly, was that that it, this is a sign that we, we've talked a lot about FA reauthorization and user fees and so forth, and 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 I, I fear that some of us may be feeling like you know the battle's over and we've prevailed and so forth and so oh, on. And, I think, and not and, and even and close. The White House isn't it hasn't given up here yet, and uh, and no, that, this that, is sort of was, another another you know tactic that they're using to, sure. to make their case exactly. And that that, that, that was my
3: point was that the, you well, know. This wasn't really so much a, uh, a, a way to benefit air traffic, which we, we, we've pretty much blown up that myth, as it was a way to uh, try to enlist the public. To uh, uh, contact their congressman and uh, clamp down on those bad old GA operators and uh, you know their half lying lifestyle and uh, charge them more money and give those poor beleaguered airlines a tax break, which is you know what part and parcel of the administration's proposal.
1: Yeah. If without saying paying, anything it, else it,
3: about the rest of the administration their idea of fixing the FAA's uh, air traffic system and modernizing it is bogus mm-hmm.
1: and if you if you're paying a whole lot of attention you might have seen yesterday or today a New York Times editorial basically saying yes let's move on let's move let's get this uh, this next generation air traffic control system up and running and oh by the way if if private and, com- and corporate operators have to pay a little bit more so be it
3: And interestingly enough, it's the, the, the proposal that the majority of the community seems to have lined up behind has us paying more. Mm-hmm. But what, it doesn't give the airlines a big tax breaks, it doesn't institute user fees, uh, it doesn't do a whole lot of other stuff that the, the White House and the Air Transport Association wanted to do. So they're still flogging
0: this horse. Yeah. Now Dave, you were called attention, called our attention to the fact that NBAA uh, took a stand recently on some things, and uh, you you want to talk about that a little bit?
3: And, uh, well yeah, there was a uh, uh, little more ink given to... I think this uh, is sort of related, right? It's, uh, oh yeah, very much related the uh, uh, airline lobbyists have been back out pushing like crazy that uh... you know the the, the next generation air traffic control system funding it and implementing it all depends on passing their version of FAA reauthorization they've re-upped their PR campaign this white house uh... uh smoke and mirrors stuff was part and parcel of that uh, i mean anybody that thinks that this is coincidental timing well, you know, they they sell that kind of smoke for big dollars in
0: big cities. So, uh, All right. somebody's got to put a quarter in the bucket. Right. I think that's. <laughs> I was thinking that's how we could finance the podcast. Is that every time someone's telephone rings, they have to like put a quarter in the in the in the can? And uh, whose phone was that? Was that Dave? Are you gone? We've lost Dave. It wasn't mine. Years. It wasn't yours. Okay, well then, no. continue with what you were talking about. I think
2: Amy. Yeah, uh, it's me. I put it on mute as soon <laughs> as I could. All right.
0: <laughs> Anyways, I'm sorry, Dave. You were saying. Well, uh, the uh, uh,
3: the NBAA it, it started pushing back on this uh, immediately, uh, and uh, some of the members of Congress have been pushing back on this. Uh, I think. Uh, I can't remember names specifically, but one member in a hearing recently uh, point blank told an airline executive to stop lying about the impact of general aviation. Ooh. Oh, and this God. was in an on the record open hearing. He used like, the word lying? Stop
0: lying. He used the word I'm, lying, really? Yeah. Wow. But yeah.
3: Yeah. I, I, you know, that, that part I'm confident of. He didn't say, uh, you know, quit uh, uh, twisting words. He said, quit lying about GA. Yeah. Uh, that's I mean people
0: who don't maybe aren't as tuned into the whole congressional etiquette thing that that's that's a big deal right uh
1: that that's, that's That is yeah
3: that, that that is a big deal when a uh, member of Congress House or Senate looks at a uh a, a business executive that's up there testifying under oath and uh tells them point blank stop lying you know stop
0: lying yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that, that that's a bump and there's no laugh track <laughs> Well, some of us find it amusing. But yeah, uh, so so NBAA uh, stood up. The NBAA has, has been pushing
3: back uh, in uh, letters to newspapers and uh, in lobbying before Congress, getting its membership, uh, reminding its membership, as, as AOPA has, that this fight is, as Jack said, is a long way from over. Uh, the FAA is operating on uh, what the second of a, a, a pair of continuing resolutions that expires in January, and if Congress doesn't send the president a bill, uh, the, uh, the 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 one that the industry has been supporting uh, calls for a small increase in fuel taxes, dedicates that fuel tax to funding next gen. Uh, and lets things get on and moving. Uh, then we're going to have a series of continuing resolutions, and the political heat's going to go up on both sides. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. be prepared when, this come, when the Congress comes back in session a uh, uh, week after next, to uh, hear a call from your favorite pilot group, whatever that may be, to get a hold of your member of Congress, your member of the Senate, and uh, mm-hmm. members of the Senate, and say, "We need this bill passed."
0: that's already come out of the house. Mm. And, and I think you know. In addition to talking to your representatives, talk, talk to your friends. Talk to your non aviation friends right. who, right. who you know, maybe are are you know moaning about the fact that they had a difficult travel you know period this you know over the holidays and and just kind of point out to them that 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 these that this explanation for the problem with the with airline travel is not accurate. It's just not drawing a proper picture of what the problem is. And yeah. uh, right. um, you know, make sure people understand that that you know that you know opening up the military airways is. Not going to solve the problem, it never was because that's not the problem. Well, so, Amy, go yeah, ahead
2: I was going to say one other thing you can do is go out and participate too. Take somebody for a ride in an airplane, take them somewhere, show them. I don't go to those airports. Mm-hmm. I don't talk on the radio all the time. You know mm-hmm. I, it, This is how we typically use the system. This is where we typically go. We're nowhere near. Being in the way.
0: That's right, and once you get True. away from the airport, there are very few airplanes out there.
2: True. Oh yeah,
0: you know, so particularly anyways. in
3: the airspace and most of us use. Yeah, I mean, uh, my 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 cross country habits were generally to fly above uh, nine thousand feet, uh, very often because winds were better there. But even when the winds weren't. Hurtful up there, you know, just neutral. You get above seven thousand feet and up to eighteen thousand feet, stuff thins out big time.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, oh, you can wow. overfly a lot of airplanes down at five, six, seven thousand feet and not have any worries in the world mm-hmm. uh, at, at that altitude. And I, that's that was my habit. Uh, talking to air traffic control on instrument flight plans there it, it was very 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 rare a time that there was another instrument airplane in at my Altitude or are going to be conflicting traffic. Yeah, uh, yeah. When I did go into Class B airspace, I was usually transiting, and they segwayed me in pretty well, except for one of my favorite air, uh, airport. Uh, Can
1: train. you say St. Louis?
3: I wasn't <coughs> going to say St. Louis.
1: I'll say St. Louis. I'll throw. It, I'll even up the ante and throw you a Charlotte and a Cincinnati. I was
3: just going to say, if you're going to do Charlotte, I'm <laughs> <laughs> <But, laughs> heading uh, You Cincinnati. Know, but we digress. <laughs> uh, and, and, and periodically, I'd go into Kansas City International, uh, drop off or pick up a friend, uh, drop off or pick up my wife for a, a Southwest flight. Uh, very rarely, when I went in there, was I going in at a time that uh, put me in the heavy push. And never, never did an airliner have to wait on me to uh-huh. go. Right. They never put me at the head of the pack. I never got to muscle my way through, say, hey, guys, uh, I got I got dinner on the stove at home. You need to let me through. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the only occasional hang-up would be uh, caution-wake turbulence. So if I got off the ground quicker than the airliner ahead of me did, which was almost always, make a, 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 an early turnout and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. I'm out of their hair and, and out in the open airspace, no traffic again. Yeah. Uh, runway acceptance rates. Overscheduling at airports, uh, oversaturation of the hub airports at times, uh, uh, when particularly when weather slows things down, those are the big contributors to delays. Right.
0: And that's not, not to say G. that there aren't know. other things we can improve. You know, having the you know ATC systems improved would be a good thing. You know, some of us are slowly flipping over to the idea that things like ADSB be an improvement, a step in the right direction. But but those are not the things that are going to solve the problem today. Not by no. themselves. No, not by themselves. You know.
2: The airlines, too, have to step up because they have been in a heavy-duty cutback, 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 cutback mode. It's also a don't-fix-it-till-it's-broke mode. It's also a if the M.E.L. says you can, you can go without that, go without it. And they are understaffing and having no backup for the aircraft that go down. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there's documentation everywhere right. to show this, yeah. and yeah. that is also significantly <laughs> contributing to the delays yeah. that people experience when they take a commercial airliner. Yeah. Amy, do you want to
0: uh, confess your special bias uh, regarding the airlines, or uh, I don't know?
2: Well, about- yeah, I'm married to an airline captain. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs>
0: Which gives you kind of a perspective, but also maybe an, you know, it gives you a different perspective, that's for sure. It
2: gives me a different perspective. It also, has it, for the last 22 years, has allowed me to see everything that comes through that the, the company does and, and gives him. And I also, as you might imagine, have a cadre of airline pilot friends, mm-hmm. not yeah. just one airline is doing this. This is across the board. This has been going on for some time since the big furloughs that happened in 2001 Mm -hmm. and 2000. They have been understaffed. So I know when they call me, crew scheduling, looking for him, and they don't even realize he's gone to work (laughs) because they've got a trip they need to cover that they're way understaffed
1: yeah 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 and and behind the curve to go yeah. with it
0: well spread wow. the word to all of your friends out there um try and help them understand that the problem's a very different kind of problem than than what the federal government would have us believe and that the solutions that would work that would make a and, difference are different
3: and, and good listeners trust us trust us when this horse is dead we will stop beating it <laughs>
2: okay. <laughs> with with one champagne, final,
1: with champagne and caviar, and and uh, and violin music, and a trip to uh, our
0: favorite airport restaurant.
1: Yeah, Jim? Exactly. Uh, there, uh, we'll put up in our show notes uh, a link to this James Fallows article. That uh, uh, I mean, maybe it's a blog entry. I'm not sure, but uh, James Fallows, is, as some of our listeners may know, is uh, a regular uh, contributor to uh, uh, the Atlantic magazine, and uh, is very well. Well uh, respected in, in in many circles for his journalistic uh, uh, tenacity and, and skills, and um, he uh, he's got a, a blog post up on theatlantic.com dot uh, com relative to um, this this airspace announcement that the White House made a week or so ago, and uh, takes it to task and and uh, has even has some graphics up showing where these areas are and this kind of thing and uh, well, and uh, you, you know. You,
3: deserves to noting here that uh, Fallows is more than just a, uh, a talented magazine writer. He's also uh, uh, an active GA pilot right. and penned a, a book a few years ago called Free Flight uh-huh. about the uh, uh, shift in the uh, aviation market. Uh, talks a lot about the birth of Cirrus and the new direction that uh, it needs to go in this country for uh,
0: aviation to thrive,
1: quite an a is- piece of work. Yeah, Fallows is also an aircraft owner. He has he bought a uh, uh, an SR twenty, brand new from the factory.
0: I wonder if we could get him in the hangar someday. I
1: think we probably could if yeah. we tried. Anyways, okay,
0: all right. Moving on here, uh, Amy. You mm, wanted yeah. there was something about international flight training you were going to tell us all about, or some comment, some observation. What's going uh, on?
2: You know, I was got a call from India back in September. India, and, like the nation on the other side of the world. Uh, you know, Bangalore. Yeah. And... Uh, they were looking for speakers to come and talk about. It, 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 ostensibly for that particular thing, it was, it was avionics. But what I discovered in the back and forth, back and forth, as they were trying to figure out how to get me to India, which ultimately they did not, but that's okay, because that's coming down the, down the pike. The timing was just all wrong. Um, we learned that there is a, a burgeoning flight yeah. training industry in that, quite frankly, subcontinent. Hello, have you looked at how many people live there?
1: Oh, right, yeah. Right, and,
2: yeah. And with uh, Indus Aviation, building airplanes for export out of India, with uh, the Indian Airways and Indian Airlines and Jet Airways and, and Kingfisher Airlines, uh, they need people to work, and they've discovered that sending Foreign nationals to the U.S. to train is a royal pain in the you know where mm-hmm. in because the of our, yes uh, because of our uh, onerous regulations that uh, stem back some some seven years now almost right. um, so the, the, so the
1: regulations in question being immigration and naturalization regulations as opposed correct. to federal aviation regulations but that is the, correct the
3: security clearance hoops that uh, a foreign national must clear today to uh, uh, come into the United States for flight training. Uh, It's essentially
2: shut down about 80% of the flight training business in the United States. And you need to understand, and I think this is something people aren't aware of, people didn't stop learning to fly. If you go (laughs) to India, if you go to Australia, if you go to the Philippines, if you go to Singapore, if you go to China... If you go to South Africa, did I say South Africa? Canada. You, Canada. You Canada. will discover an absolute renaissance in flight training right yeah. now.
0: Really? Right? So let me give you an example here um, Napa Airport in Napa, California. Um, there was a whole section of the ramp that you weren't allowed to go into because it was the flight training operation for some, and I don't know the name of the airport. But
2: I asko. It
0: was a Japanese air, air, yes. airline, I believe. All right?
2: airline. And they had a
0: whole That's bunch true. of little, like uh, little four place, you know, single engine aircraft there that they used for for training. Um, and I've obviously been gone for a long time. Are you saying that that operation probably went away?
2: Yes. That operation is not what it used to be. That's exactly right. And I know those guys because there was nothing like um, Travis Air Force Base with their trainee controllers and then the Japanese student pilots in Aztecs trying to communicate with the controller trainee, all trying to shoot a very complicated approach into Concord Airport against the traffic flow at Concord (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh-huh, <yeah.
2: laughs> to make, if if you happen to be on the frequency listening, it was more excitement. <laughs> once you know, once than upon a bunch of, time, of Texans on ice.
3: <laughs> once upon a time, the United States was training something to the tune of eighty percent
0: of the world's pilots. Yeah. Yes. And so that's uh, that's correct. so. Yes, I I wasn't oh, yeah. aware of this. It, this it, is pretty pretty amazing. Thing. That so so um, yet another byproduct of all this security stuff is that a whole lot of business that used to come into the United States has gone to other countries now.
2: Absolutely. Cessna and exactly. Cirrus were at the Dubai Air Show selling trainers. You know, yeah. they were not selling trainers to U.S. flight schools.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, and these were presumably u the- s CFIs who are now out of work or have less work
2: that is correct u s <laughs> CFIs are out of work, but Indian CFIs they can't get enough of
0: mm-hmm. right well, God okay. bless the Indian I mean they're smart folks over there and my That's- question then about so so aviation is booming. Over there, is it booming just from a training standpoint From a you know, like an airline training no. standpoint. No, no. no. the reason
2: the is, reason it's booming is, have you ever tried to go somewhere by rail or by road in that country?
0: Uh huh. But my question would become then, what, what's the economics of flying over there? You know, I mean, for all the moaning and 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 you know, it's, complaining we do over here, we we have it real lush over oh, here. Oh, absolutely. It comes to my my
2: German neighbor just told me that AvGas is fourteen dollars a gallon in Germany right yeah. now. Yeah.
0: Okay. so what's, is is it that that way in the subcontinent in India and that
2: it is more expensive? there is no question about it. They would have preferred to have had people learn to fly here where it is much more economical. However, tough times require tough actions, mm-hmm. and there is an absolutely growing middle-class and (coughs) upper-middle-class contingent in all of these countries. Look at their gross national products. Look at what's happening in these countries. These people have discretionary income for the first time in their lives, and they're going to use it to do things they want to do. And if you take your life in your hands to go 100 miles, and it takes four hours in a car, which it does in India, routinely mm-hmm. why wouldn't you get in your indian bay built you know indus torpedo right. and go there mm-hmm. in you know 40 minutes yeah.
0: Yeah, I there mean, come go. on. This explains what you know. So one of the one of the ways that I kind of keep an eye out for general aviation news, both for myself and to for the podcast, is through a Google search on on general aviation. And I've tried to limit that search um, in one of its iterations to just uh, U.S. media, but uh, on a regular basis, stories from India and that part of the world sneak through, and that that explains. Yeah. why there's just so much activity over there. I guess, huh? That's, that's I, I have a
1: Google search for business aviation or business aircraft things like that and there will be some days when that research results are sent to me and not a single one of them are from north america they're all from either europe or uh, india pakistan what's Uh, what's it's it's really it's really interesting
0: what's general aviation like in china any of you guys know anything about that oh
3: it's growing like crazy yeah yeah uh, yeah, Yeah. right now their biggest challenge is putting in runways to support the uh... the uh... goals of their infrastructure expansion mm-hmm. and you took uh, the
2: words right out of my mouth they've runways they don't yeah. have the concrete yet that's yeah. what they're missing
3: yeah they're yeah. they're putting in concrete like it, like it's going out of style and they're spooling up to uh, uh, buy more airplanes. Uh, More and more of the American producers have offices dedicated to China uh, somewhere over there and uh, staffed uh, to a great extent by local folks. And uh, they're setting up to support this expansion at every level, from training aircraft, like Amy was talking about, uh, up through and including uh, uh, airline training, and expanding their airline fleets and their ability to reach their, you know, it's a huge country. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have talked about the population uh, uh, of places like China and India, but China is a
1: bloody huge yeah. piece of. Real oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, back a couple of years ago, uh, when I was paying attention to this this particular segment of the market. Um, China, left and right, was cutting deals with, like, FedEx and UPS, etc., and those companies were coming in. They were setting up uh, hubs, um, and they were setting up feeder operations throughout the country, um, uh, sorting facilities, the whole thing. Uh, The concept being, one, you know, there's more and more production in China that has to get out of that country. Um, and B that the aviation infrastructure uh, uh, needs help uh, to get it to the point where uh, um, Chinese the Chinese economy can reliably depend upon aviation as a as a mode of transportation. Um, it's it, that's just on the commercial side of things and and talking about moving packages and, and cargo and freight. Um, the corollary, as, as, as Dave and, and Amy pointed out, the corollary is that uh, they want to make that their own industry. They don't want to have to contract it out to FedEx and UPS. They want to get the infrastructure set up, get trained, um, get the training infrastructure established. So they don't have to farm all this out to to uh North American companies. they can eventually do it all themselves, and that's where they're headed yeah. that's where they're headed in India and that's uh, uh all over the all over the world in one for one reason because we we really kind of have blinders on here in this country about uh uh global competition and uh, um, the demands being placed on our economic uh, prowess from abroad
3: yeah and it the uh put this flight training thing in a little more perspective, uh, some friends of mine here in the Wichita area used to run a flight school out of a little airport northeast of town, about 15 miles out. And 70%, 70% of their enrollment came from Europe. Mm-hmm. And these were predominantly people who just wanted to learn to fly. You know, they weren't looking, some of them, about half of them were looking to to move into a professional flying career. But fully half of them just wanted to learn to fly and had the resources to do it if they came to the United States. They could take their month's vacation and come to the United States, stay in the bunkhouse at this little 141 flight school, get their private and maybe even their instrument in a six-week period. And spend less on the entire trip—airfare, accommodations, meals, and training—than would it have cost them to just get their private back home in Europe. And this, this uh, security. Uh, Myopia that seems to be infected in flight training uh, international students here also affects our international tourism business. I saw a number the other day where international tourism in the United States is way down in the last six years, and it is way, way up everywhere else.
1: Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm.
3: talking billions and billions of lost business here, Uh, I've got friends from the U.K. who come to the United States regularly, uh, to do business, and they are months ahead of their trips making sure that they get all the paperwork in and mm-hmm. get through all the hoops to come over here and, in five or six days.
1: And that's despite the the plummeting value of the dollar against foreign currencies, which you would tend to think would mean that there would be more and more people coming here from overseas for shopping and, and business and other uh, and, uh, and other flight, commercial flight, activities in flight training, Yeah,
3: makes cetera. It makes it so much less expensive for them the way the dollar has taken a hit, that if we were living in more reasonable in a more reasonable environment, uh, our flight training and our tourist businesses would be up so far with this dollar exchange rate situation that we'd have a hard time handling all the tourists
1: mm-hmm. and all the
3: student
2: pilots. That's exactly and right.
3: It's a bloody shame. But,
2: but we're safe.
3: <laughs> we feel safe. Let's not go there. <laughs>
0: I think that to, to, to the extent that this stuff is a result of countries like India and China kind of f- taking their place in the world is a pretty cool thing, and it's kind of fascinating to watch. To the extent that it's the result of, of ineffective, unnecessary security regulations is just a real shame. And
1: that's, well, it's it's yeah, it's, yeah, it's uh, as, as Jack has pointed out in the past. If we want to do a political podcast, we can do that. Okay. But this this ain't that.
0: Hey Dave. We're not uh, Hey, Dave, you put an item on the list uh, about the Red Tail Project. Do you want to talk about that?
3: Oh, real quick and dirty. The uh, folks with the Red Tail Project, for those of you that aren't familiar, uh, it's a project going on up in uh, Wisconsin, River Falls, uh, kind of affiliated with the Tuskegee Airmen and uh, a project of the Commemorative Air Force. They're restoring a, uh, uh, I believe it's a C-model Mustang. It was flown by the uh, Tuskegee Airmen, and they got a big boost from uh, a, a retired professional football player, and they're going to be holding a fundraiser for it next spring. Uh, the uh, uh, Red Tail Project had a setback. They had one restored. It was uh, uh, mm-hmm. landed gear up because of a mechanical problem. Now they're f- fixing it again, and they're going to do another. Uh, we'll have the link to the website on uh, I want to say Matt Blair was the name of the uh, football player, and uh I believe he was with the Minnesota Vikings. That's uh, going here at risk, but it was a, a, going to be a big boost for the project. The guy brings uh, some PR credentials and some uh, 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 celebrity contacts to it that's going to be these folks are going to be contributing to raising money to restoring this airplane. Uh, check out the website if uh, you got a few bucks to spare after the Christmas bills come in. Uh, there are worse places where you could contribute them to uh, help preserve the history of World War
0: II aviation. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's see. Uh, here's, a, here's a very non-standard off-field landing of the week um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I kept you know I, I saw this story a while ago and then I saw it again and I saw it again and it kept catching my attention I just something about this sparks my interest and this is an off-field landing that took place 75 years ago uh, this Why? is uh, the, as a result of I don't know the shifting sands uh, this is in Wales on the Welsh coast in Great Britain um, the uh, remnants of a P-38 lightning uh, suddenly, were uncovered as the sands moved around and the waves, wave action, and so forth, and so on. And uh, aviation, uh, you know, restoration and history folks uh, went and took a look and uh, discovered that it was the uh, wreck of a P thirty eight Lightning that was ditched in the uh, in the just offshore uh, back in nineteen forty one. And uh, wow. from a, a, 42, a little story 42. in uh, on avweb.com, I'll just read part of it. It says the P thirty eight was built in ni- was built in nineteen forty one. Forty one, right? Reached Britain in early nineteen forty two. Flew combat missions along the Dutch belt. Belgian coast. According to AP, uh, and it, and they actually figured out who the who was flying. Second Lieutenant Robert F. Fred Elliott, twenty-four of Rich Square, North Carolina, ditched in the shallow water near the beach after running out of fuel. Uh, shifting sands covered the wreck, and its location was forgotten until erosion uncovered it this year. So there was
1: another there was another AP story on that that uh, they apparently had had found uh, Elliott. Apparently, the the pilot of this of the aircraft who ditched it uh, apparently has passed on, but. Uh, they okay. found his son, uh-huh. and talked, interviewed his son, and uh, apparently the son had some records and and uh, verified that his father had in fact been the pilot, and and uh, uh, there was. Um, some records of, of uh, associated with the squadron itself of where the pilot had on such and such a day, you know, ditched the airplane, i.e. not returned with it, and, and they 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 had all this thing documented. It was really interesting. I want to find that. Uh, I,
0: I was look. I was hoping we might find some information about this guy.
1: I'll uh, I'll, I'll I'll poke around and see what I can find. Okay. Um, um,
0: so uh, one of the notable aspects of this is that
3: uh, if the records are correct, this will be the oldest. P-38 Mustang still in, P-
0: mm-hmm.
3: P-38 Lightning still in existence.
0: Now, but see, now I find this part of the story a little bit implausible. This thing's been buried in the salty sand for 75 years or 70-plus years, and uh, they think they're going to bring it out and restore it, uh, restore it even to museum quality. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's...
1: Well, I don't know. And, and by the way, I did find the link. If you look at that Avweb story you cited there, Jack. Yeah. There is a link there where it's, it's talking so, about the Associated Press. Okay. Click, click that link, and you'll go to that large story. Okay. And it wasn't it wasn't the pilot's son? Actually, it's his nephew. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. He still has these records. Yeah.
0: So I don't know. I mean, I'm all in favor of restoring all these airplanes we can possibly find. I just have a hard time picturing the condition of this airplane being anything restorable, but I'm not a restoration guy.
1: There was was a picture I saw, believe it or not, um, of the... uh, of the aircraft in the surf literally mm-hmm. and maybe it's at, at, at tigar.com I'm not sure but uh, uh, and I, I don't recall where I saw the photo but nevertheless there is there is a photo of, of this wreck and it is in one piece m- uh-huh. more or less I mean there's the there's a the fuselage there's the booms there's the wings uh, et cetera and uh, well, so- I can
0: imagine it being in one piece I just would seem to me that the corrosion problem after all these years I was
2: going to are- say it may be in one piece until they try yeah. to take it out of there yeah
1: yeah yeah. But they, oh, they, I, they are talking
0: about
3: how fragile it is. Yeah, and, you know the, uh, the the military back in '42 salvaged everything usable out of the airplane—guns, instruments, radios. Uh, okay. Basically, just and, and I believe uh, mm-hmm. uh, left everything but the uh, uh, airframe and the engines uh, considered beyond repair. Yeah, so. Uh, uh, it, well, it could be it could be a really delicate project to pull this puppy out, or, or you know, clean it out. But uh, you know, more power to them if they're able to do yeah. it.
0: And our our belated and posthumous congratulations to Lieutenant Fred Elliot for uh, getting it back on the ground safely, or on the, getting back on the earth safely and uh, on oh, no. landing. Oh.
1: On yeah. Tyco's uh, website, yeah, they do, they do have a photo of of the wreckage. Yeah, it's I mean it's it's not flyable, okay. Um, but uh, I mean the wings and the nacelles and the fuselage, everything's you know in in the right place. It looks like you know barnacles or or some some marine growth has has uh, um, you know settled in on the on the aluminum, but. Uh, um, I mean, all the pieces are there, so who
0: knows? Yeah. Who knows what they can do with it? We'll sort out all these links and put them in the show notes if anybody wants to explore it a little bit more. So... Uh we are starting to run, reach the end of our allotted time here. Uh, Amy and I were of one mind on one particular subject. I kept noticing, uh, or seeming to notice, a lot of stories about near misses in the news over the last few weeks, and Amy wow, kind of summed it up. Summed it up by just wondering whether there's just—is this hype about? Are we just? Are they just reporting them? Are there more lately, or what?
1: Any I, I would, I would say yes. I think which there's more, all, or they're reporting they're, more of them. Yeah, they they're reporting more. Thank you. Yeah. They're reporting more. Um, first of all, I mean these are not near misses in in the sense that, you know, oh, my God, uh, you know, the airplane just missed us. These are deals, okay? These are, are, are violations of separation standards um, of, in this case, uh, I think 1,000 feet and five miles. Um, but they are not near misses in the sense that we could read the serial number off the tail of the airplane when the air, when it went by. Um. In one instance,
3: classified as operational errors.
1: Yeah, yeah. In flight. one instance, there was a uh, there were two airliners, um, over Evansville, Indiana, uh, at uh, flight level two seven zero, that came within two point, um, or I'm sorry, one point eight miles and. Uh, um, 700 feet or something like that. Um, yeah, that's too close. Yeah, that's illegal, or I will say illegal. But it's yeah, that's a deal. Uh, yeah, that's an operational error, and yeah, that shouldn't happen. But it's a far cry from a, a, a mid-air collision or or near miss or a near mid-air collision or however you want to talk about it. Right. Then there was a second deal. Um, less than a week later, uh, along the uh, Illinois-Wisconsin uh, uh, state borders, involving a, uh, an SR-22 and a Cessna caravan.
0: Right, and this was the actual uh, collision, right?
1: No, this was not a collision okay. either. No. This was another violation okay. of separation standards. I think it was 2.3 miles and within a thousand feet. Um, the 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 uh, SR-22 was was launching out of a nearby airport. The caravan was en route um, at 4,000 feet, and what had happened apparently is they went ahead and cleared the SR-22. Uh, for either an unrestricted climb or a climb to 4,000 feet that put it too close, uh, i.e. within 2.3 miles of the caravan. Well, that's again, that's not a mid-air collision. Uh, we, we can go out uh, to just about any uh, uncontrolled airport. Uh, well, let, let, let me rephrase this. We can go out and, 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 and be a lot closer um, to aircraft in, at just about any uncontrolled airport uh, in the country on any given Saturday afternoon, and are those mid- near mid-air collisions? Of course not. Um, they're they're just aircraft that happen to be flying in close proximity to each other. Um, these are these are deals, and these are uh, clearly you know violation of the separation standards. They are clearly also, I think, being uh, um, advertised. Uh, by uh, certain individuals, certain organizations who uh, perhaps want to see the FAA do a little bit more for air traffic control and yeah. put some more money into that and, and maybe even hire a few more air traffic controllers in the long run. Right.
3: One of the reasons this got so much ink, if you will, so much uh, uh, attention was that these two that Jeb just described were both uh, uh, incidents that occurred with Chicago Center.
1: Well, that, that was yeah, exactly right. Exactly and right. The, uh, you know, the
3: uh, the contention is that uh, uh, from the air traffic controllers that they're having to work too much overtime. Their ranks are being depleted by retirement faster than full performance level controllers can be trained as replacements. Uh, you know, It's a direct refutation of uh, former Administrator Blakey's contention that the way they imposed a labor contract and froze salaries and all that wasn't going to result in a flock of controllers heading toward the door. Uh, what we've had is a flock of controllers heading toward the door. Mm-hmm. Several hundred last year, several hundred more this year. Uh, the FAA will tell us that they're training controllers faster than they're losing us. What they won't say in their opening statement is that it takes about five years to move a trainee from trainee to full performance level, where they can be considered a direct replacement for all these guys that are retiring.
0: Yeah. Amy, this was your subject. What do you think? Is it real
3: or?
2: Well, I think I think it's hyped up too. Uh, one of the things that they that they Really played down, particularly with the airliners, is that TCAS went off.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: TCAS went off, and these guys got out of each other's way.
0: Oh, so that's so, so, so they were claiming just because TCAS went off, it was something that TCAS yeah. is supposed to go off. That's the whole that's idea. That's exactly yeah. well, right. When, T-
3: when TCAS goes works. off,
0: and your, when TCAS goes off, and the pilots take
3: evasive. Uh, uh, measures based on the TCAS, that's a reportable incident. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. a violation of, of the 5-mile, 1,000-foot standard. Okay, so it's not but, just routine. But
2: how often no. does that happen? I'm telling you that happens more often than not. I oh, absolutely. I have by Atlanta yeah. and listen to Atlanta Center. Heck, one day this guy, he was just in a groove, and he's shooting them in, and you could just, you could just feel the tension in the voices. These guys were getting closer and closer, and he was trying to, to shove all of these airplanes into this small space, and sure enough, all of a sudden, everybody's TCAS went off. Four guys, I swear, it must have been like a starburst formation. <laughs> <laughs> and pulling up and out and down and, you know, and it just totally screwed up the entire arrivals. But it was the controller's fault for trying to stick all those airplanes in, in a spot that right. you couldn't get them all in, you know? Um, and I heard it you heard it happen so so i think it happens you know not every single single you know time you have a you have a complex but it wouldn't surprise me at how often it happens mm-hmm. and now that even light aircraft have the ability to see each other that way right um, yeah we're
3: going to see more of it not less yeah interesting I I think
2: I think it is fascinating. I mean, and and I chuckle because here I am going over to uh, to Lantana, uh, which is a little airport that's a cutout from the Palm Beach International Class Charlie, Mm -hmm. and I have to be below twelve hundred feet to stay out of the Class Charlie. But Mm -hmm. there is a fifteen hundred foot antenna farm. (laughs) <laughs> online and five miles from the end of runway nine now i'm in the I'm in the kit fox, and this doesn't bother me too much because I'm moving at all of about forty five miles per hour into the wind, so I can see the outline, I can see all of the guy wires, and I'm making my way at about nine hundred feet and getting ready to line up with the road that I know is going to keep me out of the the palm Beach uh surface area. Last Charlie, and is going to keep me you know set up so that I can come in and and get on the upwind for runway nine and coming in over the top of me a good three hundred feet over me is a one eighty two
0: oh yeah,
2: okay, <laughs> made me look like I was standing still, but is that not the exact same thing
3: yeah. Oh absolutely
2: and he's talking to Palm Beach approach yeah. Getting ready to be handed off, you know, to be dumped into the traffic pattern, you know, one twenty two seven uncontrolled airport in this little cutout.
3: Did do now, you know whether he even had you in sight?
2: Yeah, I happen to know who was flying the 182. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you had a talk with really him later need on. need to right. go
2: there. I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> it was one of those moments where you kind of chuckle to yourself and go, okay, well, <laughs> cheated death again. Um,
3: <laughs> hey, you did that once, girl. You don't need to do that again.
2: Yeah, <laughs> no, but don't fool yourself. What happens when you're coming around the around the stacks at late Parker on the way into uh, something? yeah okay. and and i've,
1: I've there's got another a story.
3: forty minute dissertation
2: yeah. right there i got, I no, got a story
1: but, about uh about all that too but go ahead
2: but my but my point is that the reason I feel that this is hype is because airplanes get close to each other in controlled circumstances with some frequency and without dire results every yeah. day. Uh-huh. You know, and and it's, it's a see-and-avoid world out there. There's no question about it. We use all the tools we have to see and avoid, and that includes the controller's partnership. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. But, you know, when they, when they decide all of a sudden to start picking these up on the AP wire, my, my radar definitely goes up. Yeah. You agree, Jack?
0: I, I think uh-huh. I do, yeah. Yeah.
3: The blowing snow meter kicks in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Here, but So I think we're done with that subject for now, right?
1: <laughs> Apparently,
2: we've got a well, whole thing. No, here's we, what I want to talk about. I want to hear about the
0: Kit co- Fox. Do you, is that your Kit Fox?
2: Of course it is. I didn't I know had, you had a I, Kit
0: Fox. Oh, I always thought a Kit, Kit Fox, Fox would be just one of the most.
2: 93.
0: Yeah? I always yeah. thought that would be one of the most fun airplanes to fly.
2: It's a blast. Oh, and class. I'll tell you what, in the last two weeks, I've put. Uh, more time on it than I had in six eight months before that. Yeah. My my favorite story is is two weekends ago, an old friend of my dad's who's a duck hunter. He's a hunter actually. He'll hunt anything, but uh, he called me up said, "You know it's getting on duck hunting season. I really need to go out and I need to look over the sites. I gotta gotta find it this year. I know Lake Okeechobee as as you well know is drying up." You guys know that, right? We're in a terrible drought here, and I think everything's changed out there, and I need to go look. I said, hey, I got the airplane for that. Come on. Let's go Saturday morning, get in the airplane. You know, I have full X and doors, which is really nice for that, Uh and it's one of the first cool Saturdays we had, so that was a real treat, and I've got full tanks. Let's go. Now, I've got a uh, four-cylinder Jabiru engine in this, which makes it a little unique for kit foxes. There aren't a lot of kit foxes out there with an air-cooled engine. Um, And it's a sweet little engine. I Mm. really like it. We've had it in there since about 2000. And uh, a nice sense niche, wooden prop, turns up 3,300 RPM on takeoff. Sweet. It's got nice, cool cylinders. We go out. Got a nut, my typical headwind going out towards the lake. The lake is now, the lake shore has changed four miles yeah. at this point. Wow. Yeah, and he's looking down and he's going, God, I can't get my airboat in there. Look, you can see the airboat tracks, but you can't go there anymore. You know, there's little trees growing out where there used to be water. And uh, we had a blast. Three and a half hours later, I landed back here mm-hmm. in Fort Myers with half tanks. Oh. Half <laughs> tanks. Yeah, see, I only carry 19 gallons of gas.
0: Well, there's yet another reason we come visit you guys, so I can get flocks around. Oh, yeah. Here. That would be a lot. Oh, fun.
2: yeah. It's it's marvelous. The only tragedy is our favorite gas station suddenly placarded their, all their tanks with contains 10% or less ethanol. Oh, and, no. Uh, really? Yeah. Look out for that. So I'm probably going to have to start using AvGas all the time. Mm-hmm. Is that this, something that's… Uh, I've been using I, a blend.
1: I, I yeah, I was just gonna say because you know moving down here from from the D.C. area, every every station up there has the the ten percent ethanol blend, but I hadn't seen a single one down here yet with yep. that. And
2: just what you're in the telling- last month and a oh, half, bummer, yep. Yep. bummer. Okay, Big bummer. So, yeah. so anyhow, that may be the end of end of being able to use that blend, but uh, so far, you know, it's it's a delight. It's my favorite machine. Did you guys build it? Yes. Actually, you say you guys. Well, did you build it? That airplane was built. (laughs) No. Barry built it. Okay. okay. Rose and Leah were were majorly in diapers. And in fact, that airplane showed up uh, eight weeks after Leah showed up. Uh So, Ah, my my younger daughter, and uh, who you all know, Curly. Mm -hmm, And... mm -hmm. uh, who got into college, by the way? She's oh, going really? To the University of Central Florida. Yay, Leah! Congratulations, so, cool. uh, that's terrific. Yeah. Yes, very, very
0: proud of that's
2: her. That's right. And uh, Leah is a regular part at
0: Oshkosh when we all gather. And uh, yeah,
1: yeah, uh, yeah.
2: absolutely. That's and great. so uh, that airplane came together, and I helped sand the ribs. I was a human sawhorse. <laughs> a highly sophisticated human sawhorse. There's like another one of my those dad. straight lines went, There's a, picture. Yeah. a a,
1: port, a portable
2: sawhorse. How about that? That's
3: right.
2: And <laughs> uh, a portable sawhorse
3: that says, Are you sure you want to cut that right there?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and how long, long it take? Shut up or I'll leave. How long
0: did it take to build?
2: <laughs> nine months. Really? Nine months, nine hundred hours. You 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 really haven't spent a lot of time with Barry in the hangar, have you? I, I
0: guess not, huh? Yeah. That's pretty impressive for people who aren't involved with building. I mean, it's not uncommon to take two to ten years to build a a home Oh yeah, no, no, and, no. He
2: wanted an airplane, and it was in a two car garage. We used to live over by Page Field, so we lived about a mile and a half from the main airport, and uh, built it in a two car garage. He even painted it there, made a made a paint uh, booth, and promptly ducted all the fumes back into the house. I was in the, like. Whoa! Something's not right in here, man. Yeah.
1: I have I I have a motorcycle that that puts f- gas fumes in the house for, with great regularity. So I understand. Yeah. That. Uh-huh. Yeah. Closest and, I ever uh, came to building an
0: airplane was uh, was way back when, and uh, I had to put it on hold because my roommate didn't like the idea that I was going to start building the tail on the dining room table. Uh, I never quite understood why he was so troubled by that, but uh, I, yeah, I'm yeah. not well,
2: sure either. I mean, you it's can't. Not a, you can't it's yeah. Not, it's not
0: a roommate. It's your
3: refusal to use coasters,
0: Jack. Yeah, that's what it was. That's right. I could have, I could have, that's right. I could have headed off the whole problem. Hey, listen, we're running out of time here. Any shout outs? Any little uh, short ones before we, uh, short items before we finish up here?
2: No, but if you are curious about that airplane, uh, back in AOPA in the late 90s, there's an article about it. You can take a look at oh, it. Oh,
0: really? Send me the link, and we'll put it in the show notes. And uh,
2: uh, If I knew where it was, I would tell you more definitively. Uh, okay, well, we'll have to dig if it I out then. Find, uh, we'll if... I think it was 98 or 99. It was uh, an article called Kit or Conventional.
0: Oh, okay. We'll have to see if it's even on the web, but uh, we'll see if we can dig it out. That sounds great. Well, thank you, everyone. Uh Thank you, uh, Amy, for joining us again. It's always a blast. Uh, Learn more about Amy and her work at uh, WAI.org slash magazine. That's her uh, magazine's uh, website. That's WhiskeyAlphaIndia.org slash magazine. Learn more about Dave and his work at DaveHiggin.com. Jeb at jebburnside.com uh, also aviationsafetymagazine.com and avweb.com and myself at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net and check out all of our activities at the Uncontrolled Airspace website at uncontrolledairspace.com thanks everyone for joining us in the virtual hangar this week and we'll talk to you all again next time
2: this song is called Alice's Restaurant it's about Alice and the restaurant But Alice's Restaurant is not the name of the restaurant, that's just the name of the song. And that's why I call the song Alice's Restaurant. You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. Walk right in, it's around the back Just a half a mile from the railroad track And you can get anything you want At Alice's Restaurant